welcome to Stunning on the Pod with Casey, Flo, and Rosa. Welcome to Sunday on the Pod. Sunday on the Pod is a podcast all about musical theatre. However, this podcast isn't just for performers, but it's for anybody who loves musical theatre. Each episode, we cover musicals that some of you may love, some of you might hate, or maybe you've never heard of them before. Either way, we will be singing and dancing about it. If you didn't already know, we pick a musical and we discuss its plot, the show's creators, dissecting specific songs, lyrically, musically, delving into any juicy gossip from past and present productions, and my personal favourite, putting on our very own casting director hats and choosing our own fantasy cast. So what are you waiting for? Sit back and enjoy the pod. So, how are we all, girls? Good. Good. I was waiting for you, Casey. I was like, I, know. I was waiting for you. I, was like, I love the suspense. Are we good? Are we not good? I'm good as well. That's good. Yeah, you're Casey. Wow. You're uh, Casey. You're good. Kind of squeaked out of you there. It was like you had to like convince yourself that you were good. good. <laughs> Oh, uh, I got absolutely ripped the living piss out of the other day when I was out with um my uncle and uh some of our cousins were staying with us and we went out and we were at a cocktail bar and the waiter came over like like maybe two minutes after we'd been seated and was like oh can I take your order but we just hadn't decided and for some reason I like I I started to say like oh no would it be okay if we had a few more minutes but like my voice just got increasingly like higher so I started off, I was like, um, oh no, actually, sorry, could we have a couple more orders, please? <laughs> I love the panic. So embarrassing. I love that so much. I I have that, but I get really low. Like if I start to panic or if I'm under like, if I'm, okay, so say I'm in an argument with someone and I'm taking it really seriously, I, I suddenly speak really low and I'm, I get really angry and I don't know why I get really low. I think I'm just like, trying to ground myself in some weird way but it just sounds weird so I go the complete opposite way I was just gonna say I get really really aggressively mank when I get angry and I feel like what does that mean like Manchester like Manchester oh mank yeah m-a-c-h like (laughs) m-a-n-c oh my god (laughs) m-a-c-h Wow, I've, I've mash. I've never heard that expression before. Really? Uh, what man? Yeah. You've never heard man? No, I've never ever heard that. Oh God, the uh, the mm. London's really jumping. The true north south divide. Uh, I was about to say that, but I didn't want to turn it into that. Oh dear. <laughs> no, but the thing is, I'm not from Manchester. But that it just I, I, some, <laughs> sorry, it's... my whole life is a lie. What's happening? <laughs> so where are you but, from, Casey? Warrington, which is to Where's... be fair. It's Where's Warrington. It's I'm literally like 15 minutes away from Manchester. But if we get into the debate, oh, it really annoys me because Warrington isn't classed as Manchester; it's classed as Cheshire. But Oldham, <gasps> oh. which is on the other side, is classed as Manchester, but is further away to the centre of Manchester than I am. So me and George always have this big, this this big thing where he's like, "But I'm from Manchester," and I'm like, "But you're not, though, are you? I'm probably closer." <laughs> 
closer to central Manchester than you are. It's so weird because UK geography is so political. Like you could say that you're from oh, somewhere yeah. like, no, you're not. Like they get really angry and I'm like, sorry. I just, yeah, it's just bizarre. Well, I've got a bit of exciting uh, theatre news, not about me, but it was more that I saw a very, very good production uh, that's just started at the Savoy Theatre um, at Sunset Boulevard with oh, Nicole you saw Scherzinger. It. Ooh, it was so good. And Nicole Scherzinger is incredible. Like, she is, I mean, obviously everyone loves Pussycat Dolls and it's only revived my love for Pussycat Dolls. Um, but she is just like phenomenal and she suits that role so well. And just honestly, I'm, I don't want to give it away because it is, it's something that I've never seen before. There is so much that happens in it that you're like, I can't. All I'm going to say, beginning of act two, that's all I'm going to say. Just wait for the beginning. <laughs> okay. Honestly, that blew me away. And like the audience was so receptive like they were so in it it felt like I was in America like they were so like wow like every single number like they were just so rowdy and I was like I love this it was honestly amazing so oh brilliant I love Nicole Scherzinger I um I've loved her since she did that really random performance I think it was like at the Royal Variety show I can't remember where it was but she where she played um uh oh god I can't remember I was watching Grisabella no, oh. she was, um, which is the lady from Phantom of the Opera? The lady. Um, Christine. Yeah. Christine, yeah, sorry, Christine. Christine yes. She played oh Christine Dye yes. and she was fantastic. Well, I saw her in Cats. She sang Memory. <gasps> and <laughs> I know. And I, I went into it being like, oh, very, very low expectations because, you know, with these things, like, oh, classic pop singer being cast, it's like, oh, here we go again. But honestly, she was, even that, it, I felt like I was being pinned back in my seat. Like, her voice live is phenomenal. I even did a small clap there, you know? It's it's that good. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> she was yeah. always the star of the Pussycat Dolls. I know that there is, oh, like, a bit obviously. of drama of those old performances where she's kind of stealing the limelight. Um, but With a voice yes. like that, I'm like, honey, sing yeah. it out, sing it out, Louise. Honestly, <laughs> not gonna <laughs> sing lie, it out, Louise. <laughs> Nicole Scherzinger bothers me a little bit because I used to get so angry at the Muller Corner adverts. Oh, oh. yeah. She did a big stint in the Muller advert, didn't she? And then it was at the end of every advert, she'd fall over and tip the yogurt onto her, but it would just be a blob <laughs> on the tip of her nose. And was it? It was in- like the Muller Light ones, wasn't it? Yeah. You, Miller Light. And she'd like fall over and tip yogurt onto herself, but then when it would like put the shot onto her face, it would just be like a dollop of yogurt on the tip of her nose. Whereas if I did that, it'd be in my hair, it'd be in my eye, probably even my clothes as well. I wouldn't look as sexy. (laughs) I never thought I would say this, nor have this as a category of things that I was talking about. But do you know who is my favourite musical theatre star turned yogurt advertiser? Who? Martin McCutcheon. <laughs> Martin McCutcheon was slaying the game with those activity adverts. Oh my Honestly. god, I love Martin McCutcheon. <laughs> me too. I would buy any yogurt she tried to sell me. I'd love to be in a yogurt advert. Like, what yogurt you know, would you like to advertise? I think I'd like to be either Activia because they have the bit with the tummy. Um, mm. 
or or a Muller light but the Greek style because they all dress up like they're Greek gods <laughs> and I would like to be in that and I'd like to reenact a Greek god scene and um, so if you're listening whoever calms Muller light when I get really super rich and famous <laughs> I want to be cast in that I, I want to stay have a of yogurt on my nose <laughs> I want to stay uh, grounded <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do munch bunch <gasps> oh my god actually wait okay sorry can i retract my answer can i say froobs i'd rather be up for froobs <laughs> that is a better answer solid choice i'm trying to think of a yogurt that i would want to advertise but i don't think Petit I've got one. Petit Petit <laughs> imagine the first sponsorship we get on the show and it's just like froobs yogurt <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we could get cases of free fruits I'd be oh my that. god that'd be so great how would we work that into our podcast though like if you listen very very carefully you might hear us opening a fruit <laughs> you could no there could be something where you're like what do you think casey and i could be like oh one second i was just enjoying a fruit uh, <laughs> oh what flavor peach those are my favorite actually yeah the peach ones are really really good don't think I don't I've never ate a peach in my life, but I do like peach yogurt. Casey, that's <laughs> terrible. Were you, were you scarred Casey. after watching Call Me By Your Name? <laughs> oh, I hate that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know you love it. I hate it. I, I love it's... that movie. Oh no. Are we gonna fall out over this? <laughs> Just probably it's, really... it's one of those films that like now I think is problematic and now I think is quite dodgy. Well, obviously it's problematic now, but I mean, back then when it was created, I mean, everyone was like, oh my God, I want to be like that. And like, I listened to that um, uh, that album on repeat, like the Me music too. in that yeah. album. Probably let's do an episode on that because I do love <laughs> the music. I mean, that's not even a musical, but I do love <laughs> the music in that album. Um, but no, you're right. A bit problematic. And so is Army Hammer. So I just find it really self-indulgent and it is the same thing with carol Mm. everyone's just like oh maybe it's because it's like guys and i'm like no because carol's just as bad i don't honestly me and ewan uh my cousin and flatmate who is a gay man when we first watched (laughs) call me by her name like and to be honest i can't even bring up if i say like the word visions of gideon ewan's like locking himself in his room with a bottle of wine like it, i love that song. there's something about that film that even though i do think it's problematic now and i don't agree with it that like genuinely tears my soul from like inside out it makes me want to hide away for three days and cry and then it makes me want to come out and enjoy enjoy life yeah <laughs> it's the beginning of the song with like the very like slow dramatic piano you're like oh here we go right i'm sinking i'm in a dark hole close the door never see me ever again for the next 48 hours like that's me or actually it's really good to listen to uh walking through the park it's very like therapeutic well casey do you want to tell us what we're up to today so this week we are discussing drum roll, drum roll please <laughs> a, st- oh. a star is born <laughs> You nailed it, Casey. I did. That was it. <laughs> Probably the worst Love one I've you, done yet. You kind of cheated it. You're like, ah. Uh, and then you didn't say what it actually uh, was. A star <laughs> is born. The anticipation. Uh, more specifically, we're going to be chatting a bit more in depth about the 2018 version 
Just a quick trigger warning before we get into it, there are some mentions of suicide, drug and alcohol addiction. So, starting my research uh, to see if there's some sort of franchise or to see if there's any correlation between A Star Is Born films, um, because many people know there are more than one, but there is in fact four. Um, apart from the obvious plot and names, in short, the answer is there is none. So then I was kind of like on a hunt to see why this film's been made so many times. And it just basically comes down to the fact that the plot is just a classic story and lends itself to every era as the characters and the relationship sort of transcend time and can be placed sort of anywhere. The overall plot just makes for a great story and the rise of one star while another fades away is sort of a classic trope in film and television, but the two characters being in love and intertwined with each other adds an extra dimension to the plot, which I think is why directors and producers are kind of drawn to the story. Because it is a really, it's it is a big cinematic, you know, sort of love story. I've never um, watched a movie that's been quite so like heart wrenching. I guess also like it's got that element of like um, seeing someone who's so famous and like rises to the top, and then you know that classic saying of like the higher you go, the the Oh, that's not the phrase. What is it? The higher you climb, the bigger the fall, or whatever. It's like, uh, like yeah. that classic thing of like the harder the oh. harder they come, the harder they fall. <laughs> I don't think it's, I don't the think it's that. They come. <laughs> it is. Is it not? <laughs> I it was the higher. I thought it was like the higher you go, the harder you fall. Guys, Rose, guys, you just what? said the harder they come. <laughs> yeah, I am so sure it's that. Guys, no, that. No. that I don't think it's the harder they come. <laughs> Me either. The, no, sorry. It is. It's the, the bigger they come, the harder they come. It's the bigger they come, the harder they fall. I promise you. I promise you. It's it's the bigger they come, the harder they fall. Okay. Well, it's meant to be talking about bravado. Well, yes. It's basically yeah, watching someone fall from grace. It's like that classic thing of like people enjoy. I mean, it's a bit twisted, but people enjoy that kind of narrative, right? Where they see like a big celebrity fall from grace. Whether it's a narrative, whether it's real life, people find it entertaining. So I guess that's another element of the story. Yeah, it's kind of like, I'm not sure if anyone's familiar with All About Eve, but that's like a really classic movie in in terms of like one star is rising and then another is kind of fading away. So it's like a big trope that's used in a lot of films and TV. But I think the the fact that the two characters are actually in love with each other, it adds that extra sort of heartbreaking Tension. dimension into it. Yeah, yeah, and the, like all that sort of thing into it. So I think that's why directors, producers are drawn to it in particular because it's just a good story. So the four versions, um, we have one in 1937, one in 1954, one in 1976, and of course the one in 2018, most recently. So starring in the main role, um, we've had, well, we could have a bit of a discussion about that actually, because is it the main role? But as the rising star, should I say, we've had Janet Gaynor in the 37 version, Judy Garland in the 54 version, Barbara Streisand in the 76 version, and of course, Lady Gaga in the 2018. 
in each version, the plot is more or less the same, just sort of pertaining to the era. So, you know, the plot points kind of happen in a similar way, but everything around it is a little bit different, obviously, because you've got the 30s, 50s, 70s and modern times. So it, it everything around it is a little bit different. In the 1937 version, the leading lady is an actress and in the other three versions, she's a singer, but the plot still unfolds in the same way every time. Um, names for the first three movies remain the same. So the, the, the character is called Esther in pretty much, I think it's in the first three. Um, I think in the Judy Garland one, she changes the name halfway through, but she does start off as Esther. And the her male counterpart is Norman. Apart from the 70s version where he's John Norman, there's no, uh, in the 2018 version, this changes. There's no mention as to why, but to take an educated guess, it's probably just that Esther and Norman are now quite dated names. It's not, you know, the, they wouldn't really resonate with a, today's audience. Um, but they retain the, so it's Norman Maine as the, um, the kind of aging star, the male lead. And they continued that kind of um, in the 2018 version because they say his name's Jackson Maine. Yeah. So it like ties in with the last name. Yeah, they've tried to to add a little bit of a, a touch to it. Another thing that they've kept the same in all um, four movies is one of my favourite lines from the film is the, I just wanted to take another look at you. In the 1937 version, obviously where it all started, it actually is, do you mind if I take just one more look? Which I feel like is really romantic. Aww. It's really cute. Uh, then in the 50s version, it's very similar to the 2018. It's, hey, I just wanted to take another look at you. It changes up in the 70s version for I was just taking another look, which I'm like, it's not as a, doesn't, it doesn't ring the same, I don't think. And it's then not of as course, sexy. No, it isn't, is it? <laughs> I just wanted to take another look. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a bit like, it's a bit like well I could have another look you know? yeah. <laughs> if you want um, and then of course we have I just wanted to take another look at you from the 2018 version going into the casting of the actresses so each actress could probably be hailed the biggest star of their time so with each actress being incredibly popular in their re respective eras 2018 may have been a harder casting decision due to the sheer number of celebrities we have now, actresses and singers alike. I don't know about you, but I think that Lady Gaga was the right choice for the part. I think she proved her acting chops in American Horror Story Hotel. Don't know if anyone's yeah. seen that, but she yeah. was incredible in that. Um, and is undoubtedly one of the biggest pop stars of the last decade. I think... A big thing for the character has to be that she can't be too perfect and polished and has to be a little bit rough around the edges. Well, there's a recurring theme that they mention in the films, um, and it's kind of outwardly talked about in the films, that other characters around them don't see them as... They see them as maybe pretty, but they don't see them as like... Yeah, it's not so conventionally in the, in the first attractive. Film, they say, yeah, exactly, conventionally attractive. So in the first film, um, they say like, oh, she's just not pretty enough for Hollywood. And obviously in the 2018 version, um, that's kind of uh, Lady Gaga's character's 
um, big hang up. She says that other people have said that she'll never get famous because of her nose. So, and obviously we have Barbara Streisand who kind of beat all odds to get fame because she had managers um, tell her, producers tell her that they wouldn't hire her in films if she didn't have a nose job and she refused. But it's, I mean, it's quite an odd thing because obviously every single one of these women, you know, Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand, Lady Gaga, some of the most beautiful women in the world, but they do share this quality that is, it's not that they're not pretty because they're, they're stunning, but they are not the typical Hollywood starlet. They're kind of a, they have an edge or they have a kind of quirk, I guess, to them. They have like a very quirky spirit as well. Um, but they don't have the kind of typical uh, Western leading lady face, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a convention. It's kind of what they are not what society is telling us is, you know, a, a famous singer or a famous actress should sort of look like, which is really odd considering each of them were probably the most famous person in the the respective eras but yet society's still kind of like yeah but they're not a looker sort of thing it's it's that sort of with the with the caveat though i suppose as well that even by even with them with their quirks even by hollywood standard they are the they are they are almost the standard compared to you know just thinking about how Hollywood kind of treats like women of color for oh, instance yeah. and things like that so it's they are like the the I suppose like the outcasts or they are the quirks of the mainstream I think it's important mm-hmm. to say it's not that we're saying that these women are completely not the Hollywood standard because when we when I look at Lady Gaga I mean come on she is she's so yeah, beautiful stunning and in terms of like the Hollywood lens she is she's white and she is blonde and she is so she does have those characteristic makeup so it's not to say that they are like so completely you know in the face of the Hollywood beauty standard they kind of still are the Hollywood beauty standard but they just have they kind of slightly exist outside of it if that makes sense yeah yeah um and what I think is really uh another thing that I was looking at is all of these actresses, I mean, I can't really speak for Janet Gaynor because a little bit before my time, but each of these actresses is kind of hailed as a gay icon. Um, And looking into that, interestingly, I saw a thing that was kind of like, what, what makes a gay icon? Because it's so eclectic, but also... You just know... You just know, yeah. Yeah. It's it's such an eclectic list and of mainly women um that seem to be like these big stars that everyone's just kind of drawn to. Yeah. And kind of get hailed as a gay icon. But I think it might be this the like the sheer stature of their of their fame and sort of the stuff that they put out. I think it's also like what they stand for because like I went to go see uh, this really really good exhibition at the V&A uh, the Diva exhibition um, which is if, if you haven't already go uh, if, if you haven't already seen it you should go and see it because it's basically like all the dresses of like icons and it and I think it literally starts back in kind of the early 1900s um, and spans all the way up to today and there's a dress from Lady Gaga in it 
And it's like, they have these amazing ball gowns and like incredible outfits. And they have like a RuPaul exhibition and like all these amazing things. And there's a whole bit about like, like what well, it isn't a whole bit, but you can kind of see elements of it where, where, you know, they have like share and you're like, oh my God, that is a gay icon. But it's like, it's the fashion. It's, it's how they, it's how they express themselves. It's the music they create. It's. I don't know, there's, I mean, obviously this is coming from someone who isn't gay themselves, but I can recognise qualities of those, like, divas, where I can, it's like that inclusivity, that kind of, yeah. It's an interesting one as well, because I I think a lot of the time it is also to do with, like, Cher obviously has always been an absolute champion of LGBTQ plus rights. And she has always affiliated herself with that scene. But Mm -hmm. there are cases of people who are called gay icons who are, they haven't meant to be. Like Donna Summer always springs to mind as like the gay icon. I love Donna Summer, but, and I'm I'm not, I can't speak to her later life, but there was a particular time where she actually was quite actively homophobic. Really? During the height of her fame, yeah. So it's quite an interesting one, like, yeah. and again I'm not going to speak to what she was like later in life because I, I really don't know that um, but that was like a label that was almost put on her without her like wanting that or do you know what I mean affiliating herself but it's because she had she had dance music and she had those beautiful outfits and she had such a mystique about her and obviously like Donna Summer like the dance music was used so much like during in the New York ball scene so it's but you know it's not always like their political opinion or who they're affiliated with there are some people who are like you know un- they uh unconsensually I guess labeled yeah. as gay icons without having done that much for uh the progression of LGBTQ plus rights yeah and it's that's what I mean when I say it's eclectic like there's so many different like women that are put into this gay icon you know, box that it's just so it's so strange to sit, to try and sit there and nitpick what it is the qualities, but I think it is just a massive mixture of everything. I think a big thing is sort of performance presentation and like when you think of thing like people like Dolly Parton and the way that she does her hair and her makeup and her outfits and she's so I think a big thing for a lot of them is it's women that aren't afraid to own the sexuality. I think they could be like the straightest woman in the world, but I think if they're going out there in these sexy outfits and kind of owning the femininity and... You should um, like unitards where it's like all like glitter and feathers and... Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, when I was thinking about... I was I was sat going through the eras and I was trying to kind of go through, okay, so if there was like a 1980s version of A Star Is Born, who would do I think would have played Esther? And then instantly I was like, oh, well, Madonna... Madonna oh my god had, yeah Madonna yeah. would have had that in the bag because she's an actress who sings and also kind of puts out this image and she's also got that quirk that quirkiness that we were talking about where you know not quite mainstream but you know it's kind of the glasses effect I don't know if you've heard about that but kind of in a lot of films where it's like oh I'm not pretty and I'm not conventionally attractive and then they kind of take the glasses off oh and classic like, put on a dress and it's like oh wow you were beautiful she's pretty all the time time. (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. well we've briefly touched on it um but I had a little look at the writers and the creators of A Star Is Born specifically the the 2018 version 
Um, and as we mentioned, uh, it is starring Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. And the screenplay for the 2018 version was written by Eric Roth, Bradley Cooper, and Will Fetters. And this is a bit of kind of fun, fun fact. I didn't know this, but Eric Roth was also a part of the writing process for Forrest Gump, The Curious Case of Benjamin, uh, Benjamin Button, and Dune. It was directed by Bradley Cooper, um, and it was actually his first film that he directed. Uh, it was produced by Bill Gerber, John Peters, Bradley Cooper, a name that we've all heard before, uh, Todd Phillips, and Lynette Howe Taylor. The music was led by Aaron Ratier. However, I have to say there was a heavy input uh, from Lady Gaga, and there was also notable other artists also involved. Um, actually, funnily enough, also including Mark Ronson, who, and I, and I saw that name, I was like, I know that name. And um, he is an American DJ. He did um, that Miley Cyrus song, Nothing Breaks Like Heart. And he did Uptown Funk. And there's another one. I was going to say, isn't it Uptown Funk? Yeah, and he did um, the one with Amy Winehouse, uh, Valerie. The budget, which I thought was very interesting. Now, can you girls guess kind of how much do you think the budget was for this movie? 2018. I'm going to say 2.5 mil. Okay. I'm going way bigger. I'm going mm -hmm. like 250 million. <laughs> I love that. It's 36 million. It was so close. <laughs> <laughs> Both of you are really, really close. I'm going to give it to Rosa. Um, but it was... <laughs> surely surely 2.5 is closer to 36 than 250. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I love Rosa's ambition of being like 250. Let's make it big. Um, so the budget was 36 million and the box office brought home 436.2 million. So Rosa was there. Um... <laughs> I think it's also really important to uh, to note that uh, it did incredibly well in uh, the awards and it was nominated for a total of seven, uh, seven Grammy Awards um, and it won Best Pop Duo Group Performance and Best Song Written for Visual Media for the song Shallow. Um, it also won Best Film Music at the uh, BAFTAs um and yeah I just think it's worth noting it did very very well um I also wanted to kind of just chuck in there uh, a very interesting quote uh quote from Bradley Cooper uh and it was an interview in 2018 and it was more about him talking about the acting process of him having to play um an addict uh, um an, an addict and he said quote I think because I'm 40 I've gone through a lot in my life I was able to do it with joy because some people have asked me, it must have been hard to go to those places. But oddly enough, it was very therapeutic. You know, I've had an interesting road and I've dealt with similar things in my life and I, was, and I observed it in others close to me and addiction in general. And the main thing when I was writing it and specifically shooting it, I thought, gosh, when this movie comes out, if it does come out, I really want anybody to know deeply about this disease to say, yeah, this is a reflection of what it's like. Not a glossy version, but the real reality of what it's like to be an addict. It's an interesting uh, quote when you've seen his performance, I think, because mm -hmm. it is a very, very good performance. And it is a, a more empathetic 
take on people with addiction um, kind of problems, which often maybe they're depicted as being quite selfish or... And actually, I think the film does a really good job of just showing that actually it's a really debilitating disease. So I think that's probably uh, his quote there is probably reflective of like his perhaps his own philosophy towards that, which is just really nice to see instead of seeing people who are kind of struggling with that demonized or made out to be bad people. Like, I don't think you ever think he's a bad person. You just think he's someone who's struggling, who maybe does bad things sometimes. But what's the plot? I hear you say. Don't worry, I've got you covered. So as Casey said, um, there has been four uh, iterations of A Star is Born. But interestingly, there is a secret fifth. There was a made-for-TV movie, I think, in the 70s that was made that no one ever talks about in conjunction because it was so bad. So we are going to ignore it from our A Star is Born uh, lore, but it is out there on YouTube uh, for anyone who wants to watch Um, So they all follow a similar structure and plot, which appears throughout all four films, which is we have a young female ingenue who dreams of making it either as a film actress or as a singer-songwriter. They are often described uh, by their family and friends, uh, most often, or just by themselves, as not being pretty uh, or not being pretty by Hollywood standards, as we've discussed. Um, And then they meet a kind of famous ageing male star who has some form of alcohol or uh, drug addiction. The ageing star instantly falls in love with the ingenue in a kind of chance encounter and helps her launch her career. Often they collaborate on a project together whilst engaging in a romantic relationship with her. Um, And an interesting note is that they always marry very quickly after the proposal and in quite an intimate setting in a very small ceremony. Uh, The ingenue becomes essentially an overnight hit and whilst their career is growing, the ageing star's career is flatlining due to their alcohol dependency then the aging star becomes jealous of their partner's success and humiliates them uh, in a kind of embarrassing moment on stage, often when the young ingenue is receiving an award. The ingenue stands by the aging star, vowing to help them through their sobriety at the expense of their own career. Sadly, the aging star commits suicide to allow the ingenue star to continue to shine. And then the ingenue honours the aging star publicly by kind of officially coming out and taking their last name and introducing their marriage to the world and their career continues to blossom. So applying that then to 2018 Stars Born, uh, we have Lady Gaga, as discussed, um, as our ingenue and we have Bradley Cooper as our ageing star. The film opens with Jackson Maine, Bradley Cooper a famous country rock star disillusioned with fame with uh, tinnitus, which I will say is a plot point that's never really fully realised. It seems like an odd thing they throw in there. And a bad alcohol and drug habit, who uh, just plays a sold-out show. After his performance, he looks for a bar to drink in, and he ends up at a drag cabaret, where he sees Ali, Lady Gaga, our young ingenue, perform La Vie en Rose, these kind of taped-on thin eyebrows and this kind of black wig. Ali lives with her chauffeur dad, who thinks, um, although Ali is extremely talented, he doesn't believe that she has the star quality to make it in show business. Jackson is instantly captivated by Ali, and they go for a drink after the show, where Ali, who has a fairly short fuse, punches a guy harassing Jackson for a photo. Jackson cleans up her hand, and Ali sings him the beginning of a song that she wrote. Jackson is incredibly impressed, kind of falling in love with her and invites her to a show the following night where she performs her song Shallow, which is one of the biggest hits of the the movie. 
Jackson and Allie go on tours together and begin a romantic relationship. During a trip to the ranch that Jackson grew up on and where his father is buried, they find out that his brother Bobby, who is also his manager, um, has sold the land. Jackson and Bobby fight and Bobby reveals that they talked about the sale, but Jackson was too drunk to remember. Bobby then quits as his manager and accuses Jackson of stealing his voice. A music producer signs Allie to a label. Jackson initially is kind of very jealous, but then he eventually supports her as she begins to record music. Rez, the producer, manages her career towards kind of more pop and kind of tries to change her image to be more conforming to Hollywood. Jackson continues to spiral with his addiction and he misses one of Allie's concerts because he passes out. Uh, but they kind of make up and he proposes to her very cutely with a cut guitar string that he fashions into a ring and they marry the same day. Jackson and Ali begin to argue over their kind of different career trajectories. Ali is continuing to rise in popularity and Jackson is declining due to his addiction problems. Ali continues to lean into her pop career, bringing backing dancers on stage, dyeing her hair this kind of shocking orange and singing lyrics that are somewhat uh, less soulful than her usual. There is a lyric that she <laughs> that she sings, uh, which is, why do you come around with an ass like that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ali then performs on SNL um, and Jackson makes up with Bobby, which is great. Their arguments get progressively worse. Ali accuses Jackson of being a drunk and treating her like his girlfriend, not his wife. And Jackson calls out her shallow, that's a little joke there, lyrics and horrendously and i would say the worst point of the film actually the second worst point of the film he calls her ugly which oh. is ali's biggest insecurity and it is a really truly awful moment um and is definitely rooted in the kind of addiction issues that he's going through so ali goes on to win a grammy award for best new artist but Jackson invades the stage and he wets himself and he passes out due to the amount of alcohol that he has consumed that evening. After this, he goes to rehab to sober up um, and Ali wants to bring Jackson on tour with her so that she can look after him. But her producer, Rez, refuses. Rez angrily accuses Jackson of ruining Ali's career. And later, after Ali lies to Jackson about the label cancelling her tour so he she could stay home with him, he promises to come to her show that evening, but instead he hangs himself in their garage. The film ends with Ali at Jackson's memorial concert. Her hair dyed back to its natural colour with kind of pared down makeup but no backing dancers. And she's performing a song that Jackson wrote about his love for her. And she introduces herself to the world for the very first time as Ali Maine. So... I think it's a nice time to delve into the music behind the musical. Um, and one of my favourite songs in this movie is Shallow. I mean, very unoriginal, um, but I think, and it's probably one of the most popular songs as uh, as we spoke about um, in, in, the, in the musical. Um, and Shallow itself, I mean, classic me, being a bit more muso, um, it uh, is written in G major, not that important, but I thought I'd just let you guys know at home. Um, and it's written in 4-4, which is a very simple kind of time signature, which I think kind of suits what the song is and kind of what it represents in the movie. It doesn't need to be complicated. Um, it starts very slow, uh, very steady, beginning in uh, what 
uh, we like to call MP, which basically, I uh, had to be more technical, it's a mezzo piano, uh, which basically translates to moderately quiet, um, which I think is an interesting way to begin the song because it kind of shows Ali and Jackson's relationship starting from a very small seed and how their love begins very kind of small and quiet and then it grows. Um, and you kind of hear this opening guitar motif, which basically actually I kind of didn't think about until I was really listening to the music. It's there for the majority of the song. Like it just repeats and repeats and repeats. There's no kind of like change in the beginning bit. It's just the same thing. If you, if you listen back to it, even when they, even when vocally they change what they're doing, the guitar motif stays the same, which is kind of, it's nice. It's like a constant kind of background. Um, and it has the same kind of rising and falling between the notes of G and E, um, which I just think is, again, it kind of adds that kind of simplicity of them as characters and how simple, how simple love can be kind of when it does happen. Um, uh, I think the other big thing to kind of think about is that as a duet goes, it really has a feeling of kind of call and response. So uh, Jackson begins verse one, and then he kind of, I mean, obviously as the movie lends to it, he introduces her on stage. But if you were to just kind of listen to it in isolation, it's almost like he's singing it and then she is giving him a response by singing exactly the same thing. Um, it's kind of like a direct conversation between them. Um, and uh, during Ali's response, uh, you start to hear little kind of extra instrumental lines. Uh, so you hear like a very small like cello line, a very simple cello line, including a bit of piano. Um, and it's kind of, it suggests this kind of building in musical support, but it also it's that kind of building of Ali's confidence and that she's had the confidence to step on stage in front of thousands of people. Um, and then suddenly it gets into the really, really famous bit that everyone knows, uh, the chorus, which is suddenly sang forte and it's loud, which basically translates to loud. Um, and I remember the first time I heard this song, it really does like, it takes you by surprise, the chorus, because it's just like, she just lets rip. And it's almost like she's like, right, this is my moment. Um, if you don't really know the lyrics, the lyrics go, I'm off the deep end, watch as I dive in, I'll never meet the ground, crash through the surface, where they can't hurt us, we're far from the shallow now, which I think is really poignant for what her character is going through, that she's just like, screw it, I'm just gonna go for it. Um, and I mean, this is probably me maybe looking into it a bit too much as an actor, um, but it's that kind of thing of, falling deep in love with someone versus her lyric of shallow. And it's that kind of like oxymoron to be specific um, of her love for Jackson being so deep, but it's really tragic because ultimately it ends with shallow, which is kind of, it almost kind of predicts where their relationship is going and where it's heading. Um, and then after the chorus, they kind of have a whole bit where they're like, in the shallow, and they kind of sing that over and over again. Um, that was a terrible rendition of it. In the uh, shallow. <laughs> I like that version. <laughs> in the shallow. Um, where they basically repeat the lyrics, in the shallow, shallow, in a kind of descending figure. Um, 
which is a bit kind of like it's a bit like water you know like how water is kind of rippling um and then uh she kind of has i mean classic lady gaga i love the bit when she's she's not even singing words but she's like singing ah it's like classic lady gaga um and then again the song kind of finishes with another chorus classic kind of pop pop style writing like verse verse chorus chorus um and again that feels like a really big finish um and it, it's kind of signifying the fact that like her career is taking off and that their relationship is like it's solid it's really really strong um i think a really like important lyric in this song is the bit where she says like crash through the surface i feel like that's a really important lyric for her as a character because that is essentially what she's doing in the song um and again, I love a good quote. I can't help myself. I really, really love a good quote. And um, in the Good Housekeeping interview in 2019, um, Lady Gaga talked about shallow. And she says, the words signify a time when men and women are having an open dialogue with each other. And quote, this, uh, that conversation is what makes the song successful and beautiful and why people cry when they hear it. It's because that man and woman connect and they are listening to each other. Which I thought was a really nice. Yeah, that is really nice. But then, again, not to be adversarial all the time, but I find that quite interesting. Maybe I'm going to... Maybe I'm... Now I'm even arguing with myself about whether they are truly ever having a dialogue. I suppose she's quite good at the start and it's something I'm going to talk about later of she kind of knows going into this relationship that he is not on a good path she within the first couple of days of her meeting she kind of they, of them meeting she kind of says like oh you know this drinking do you do this quite often or you know i'm you know i'm not going to be i'm not going to be doing that or i'm not going to be picking you up all the time so it it kind of starts out on a on what i think she knows is like a downward spiral i guess but maybe it's just her saying, well, yeah, I kind of know that this journey is maybe not going to end the best, but I just have to be on it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's this kind of classic trope of, like, I can change him. That sort of where all like the hope is that maybe he will change if she's if, if she's with him or like if she's there it's that kind of like heartbreaking thing of maybe it's it's kind of going into that with positive like positive thoughts of this isn't going to be what it's like forever well i think it's interesting that you guys brought that up because i didn't know this but shallow actually wasn't supposed to be a duet originally um and um bradley and the co-writer mark ronson that famous dj that we mentioned earlier um, they said that the emotional ballad was originally supposed to be a solo by Lady Gaga. And then um, Bradley, uh, as being the director, kind of had a moment where he basically said, like, a duet is the best way to utilise it in the movie, like as a song. Um, and uh, he kind of said that, like, when they did, like, the first kind of stage performance of it, um that he really heard it as a duet. Um, 
which I thought was just very interesting because I couldn't picture it as a one-person song now. What about you girls, though? What's your favourite song from A Star Is Born? The song that I've always kind of taken away from the film as being my favourite is Always Remember Us This Way. And I suppose just before we go into this, it would be good to kind of talk about um, why we're covering A Star Is Born, because technically it is not a musical. It is a musical film. Um, And I think the reason why we are covering it, one, um, even though (laughs) even though it's not a musical, it's definitely within the musical theatre family, um, as a lot of these kind of older uh, musicals are. It's not a typical kind of musical film in the sense that it utilises non-diegetic songs. So just to recap again, non-diegetic songs are typically used in musical theatre. And non-diegetic is basically a fancy, fancy word for a song that is that doesn't exist within the world. So it is a song that the character is singing and it is a reflection of their thoughts, but it's not a song that everyone else can hear, if that makes sense, within the world of the musical. A diegetic song is a song, say there was a scene in the musical where they're playing something on the radio and they all sing along to it and they dance. That is a song that exists within the world of the musical and they all know it's a song. So that is the difference between diegetic and non-diegetic music. Would you say like that would be like La Vie Bohème in Rent? Do you think that would be? Um, No, but do you know what is an example of a diegetic song in Rent is Over the Moon. Because ah, that's part okay. of the performance. So I the see. crowd knows that it's a song. Or um, in... The song he sings at the end as well. Because he sings... <laughs> that really yeah. great song at the end. The, the one that he's, yeah. he spent his whole career writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, but a non-diegetic <laughs> song is... Of course, we as the audience recognise it as a song, but within the worlds of the musical, it is just a, a vehicle for us to enter into the, the character's innermost thoughts. Um, so obviously, A Star is Born, um, this version and the Barbra Streisand version, because they are centred in the music business um, and they are songwriters, they are diegetic songs that they are mainly using because it's songs that everyone in the world recognises songs. It's songs that they're playing at concerts, uh, that they're playing on the radio, that they're doing performances of. Um, and there's never meant to be a kind of typical musical theatre moment where Ali's sitting in the kitchen and suddenly she's doing a ballad um, that she hasn't written. But I think what's very interesting about these films is, and especially the 2018 version, is the way they kind of blur that line sometimes. So Always Remember Us This Way, I think, is a perfect example of this because it is a song that Ali has written it's diegetic within the scope of the musical. She is playing it for a crowd, but the lyrics reflect her innermost thoughts and her relationship with Jackson at that time. And the way that it's directed on stage is she is, there is long, long passages of this song uh, when she first plays it um, at the concert on the piano, where she is just looking right into his eyes and the whole world is kind of melting around them. And for me, that's where the the kind of line blurs between a song that she has written or or her kind of revealing inner thoughts, I guess. Um, so before we kind of look at the lyrics and, and see where that is, just a little bit about the song. I would say it's arguably the second biggest number from the movie, apart from Shallow, and it was written by Lady Gaga, Natalie Hemby, Hilary Lindsay and Laurie McKenna, and it was produced by Dave Cobb and Lady Gaga. 
it was nominated uh, for Song of the Year at the Grammys the year after Shallow was, because I think they released Shallow early and then released Always Remember Us This Way after the film came out. Um, and really interestingly, it was recorded immediately after the songwriters finished composing it. They were just so excited about it. Um, and Hilary Lindsay, one of the songwriters who had actually collaborated with Gaga on my favourite Lady Gaga album, Joanne. I know that's controversial. Um, mine too. It's mine too. Oh, it's really? A great it's album. It's a fantastic album. I love that. I think that is uh, Lady Gaga at her very, very best uh, lyric writing. Yeah, one hundred percent. But it's in the in the big like fandom world of Lady Gaga. Like everybody hates it, and I'm really? like, what? It's the best. Yeah, it's. Oh, they it, hate Joanne. Yeah, they they oh just God, like pretend. Why? I think it's mm. because it's not. It's not campy and it's not classic Gaga in like it's all out there. It's really stripped back and it's I almost see. like they're all quite personal. There are a few like John Wayne and things like that that I think are kind of the exception on that album. But I think it is that kind of it's kind of stripped back. It's not Gaga being like, you know, all out there and like campy and things like that. So I think it's kind of everybody got really excited thinking they were going to have like a big dance anthem and all that kind of thing. And it was kind of just this these beautiful lyrics and everyone was kind of like, oh. So, yeah. Hilary Lindsay, so she collaborated on Joanne, so thank you, Hilary Lindsay. Um, and she kind of has this great quote about um, immediately after when they recorded the number um, that she said that Lady Gaga had uh, basically become so ingrained with the character of Ali. Um, she said she was living in the hurt and the ache of Ali losing the love of her life. We all just wanted to hug her. She was so broken up and in so much raw pain, which I think is very interesting because at that point in the film, she has not lost the love of her life. This is kind of in the first third of the film and their relationship is still really going strong. And I'll talk about in a bit how I think this song acts as like a foreshadowing and as a kind of through line of, of Ali's thoughts. Um, and I think that quote really says that though. She, she's acting in this pain. Well, this pain ha hasn't technically happened yet for her character. Um, one of the other uh, songwriters, um, Lori McKenna, she said that the songwriting process for, for this number was extremely powerful. The lyrics made them really, really tearful. And actually quite interestingly, they decided at that moment that maybe it's time, um, which is a song that Jackson Maiden sings. They said that was Cooper's character's song, and always remember this way belonged to Ali, which I think is is quite nice. <laughs> um, so just a bit about the song. It's a country ballad, um, and it is in um, it's in common time, performed in A minor, and it has like a fairly slow, slow kind of tempo. So as I've kind of said, I feel like it is kind of non-diegetic and it blurs that line the lyrics feel to me as if Ali is kind of reflecting and foreshadowing on their time together despite it being right at the beginning of their relationship um and I kind of get the sense that she's almost mourning a love that is not yet lost but she is anticipating it being lost um because just within the context of their relationship they've actually only been dating a few weeks at this point um, where it comes in in the show is Ali is on tour with Jackson. She's written the song during their tour and Jackson has surprised her uh, by saying, okay, we're going to do an encore. I really want you to do that number. Um, she doesn't want to, but she eventually does. She takes, I think, like a shot of 
Um, I'm not sure what it is, but it looks it's like a white liquor, so maybe it's like tequila or something. She takes a shot and she goes and she runs it out. Um, and she begins solo on piano and then halfway through, uh, Jackson and his band join her. So let's take a look at some of the lyrics and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts as well. So the first verse, the Arizona sky burning in your eyes. You look at me and baby when I catch on fire, which is, I think, like, just a great lyric because that is definitely how when you're in those like first um kind of exciting few weeks of seeing someone you definitely are like oh my god yeah um, <laughs> it's buried in my soul like california gold and then this is the line you found the light in me that i couldn't find so obviously this is kind of referring to the fact that she when she first meets him he recognizes this great talent within her but she has refused up until that point to sing her own songs. She's kind of hiding behind this mask. He's kind of forced her to come out and sing her own songs and and kind of take up this space um, and find kind of the light within her, which I think is quite nice. I also would just like to say, um, I don't know whether it was written to the script or whether it was a kind of directorial um, decision, but that scene where she has those uh, glued on eyebrows and he asks if he can take one off and it's obviously because he's like breaking down her walls and he's breaking down the mask that she's like put on for herself gorgeous it is an absolutely gorgeous scene to me um that him taking off that eyebrow it just doesn't that mirrors is it in the judy garland one where she's wearing a prosthetic um and he takes it off and he's like your face is just dandy yeah. <laughs> Cute. But I will say, I quite like the he. Because I, I, as someone who's been insecure about their nose from since she was born, who has really? recently come to love her nose. Yeah, I have a big thing about my nose because it's kind of got like a bump in it. I know it's ugh, it's a really weird thing. I used to think I would always get a nose job, and now I feel really stupid because I actually really, really like my nose. Like, I genuinely love my nose. Um, but I quite like in the film that she says, because Lady Gaga has quite a similar nose to me, I think, not to shoot my own horn. I've got a similar <laughs> nose to Gaga. Uh, <laughs> but she's like, oh yeah, it was kind of, they said it was too big. And I quite like that he didn't say, oh no, it's not too big. Um, and plays into that kind of beauty standard. He's like, oh no, it is big, but I love how big it is. Like, I think it's beautiful as big as it is. I love that. I think that is so yeah. gorgeous. It's like the equivalent of when someone's like, and I'm speaking as a plus size girl, when you're like, oh, like I'm plus size. And they're like, oh my God, no, you're not. And you're like, no, I, I am. Yeah, like if you're like, oh, I'm fat. And they're like, oh, you know, you're beautiful. And you're like, okay, well, I never said I was ugly. I'm both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I never said I was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I really like that. I like that he's like, yeah, but I love it. I can't stop looking at it. I love it. And then later when she has the billboard, I think he, she's like, oh, well, it's not a great angle for my nose. And he's like, I wish it was bigger. <laughs> he just loves her big nose. Uh, so then we go into the pre-chorus. Uh, so when I'm all choked up, but I can't find the words, every time we say goodbye, uh, baby, it hurts. Which, again, going back to this foreshadowing thing and me feeling like this song blurring this line between diegetic and non-diegetic but also blurring I think the pace and the time of the movie this feels to me like a song that should almost come at the end of the film but it comes so early on and for me it's 
transportative in that time. That's not a word, but I'm saying it. Um, <laughs> because it feels like we jump to the end. We jump to Ali reflecting on this relationship, but it's not quite happened yet. I find it such an interesting song. Um, because if we think about the relationship, they actually haven't really said goodbye. Um, he meets her one night. The next night, he's like, Kiam to me show. So she goes to the show. And then she goes home after the show. The next day, surprises her in a bedroom. So they've not actually said goodbye yeah. <laughs> at this point. Um, so obviously, again, they're just really hammering this nail home. But um, it feels like it's a foreshadowing of the kind of final goodbye. Um, then we have the chorus. When the sun goes down, obviously the sun goes down is quite a typical metaphor for when people die. And the band won't play. Again, another metaphor for when people die. Um, I'll always remember us this way. She's kind of foreshadowing here again, or she's foreseeing that this is going to go badly and this is the peak. It's like she already knows this is the peak and they've only just begun. She's. This is where I feel like she's really mourning for the end of this romantic relationship or the end of his life, even though she's still experiencing it. She's nostalgic almost for the present that she is currently experiencing. For me, it reads like a song that you would you would play or you would write years after a love affair, but she's writing it right at the start of it. I just think it's so interesting. Then, um, the part of me that's you will never die. This is kind of my big issue with the A Star Is Born franchise, but she's obviously directly foreshadowing his death. But the part of me that's you will never die. Obviously, you know, when you love someone and you're in that kind of partnership, you do take on a piece of them. But for me, that kind of foreshadows her at the end taking on, because she very famously has set up her pop career. And it's like, is it, this is Ali. She's just kind of, she's got a mono name. She's Madonna kind of thing. And then she introduces herself at the end. And they all do this throughout, throughout all four films um, as Ali Main. And she takes on his name. And I saw a really, really interesting quote that said, her career now stands as a tribute to the man that she loved. Which I think kind of perfectly sums up the ending of each A Star Is Born. And it kind of brings me to this kind of discussion that we maybe want to have, which has been a criticism of all four films, um, that even though it's meant to be about the titular star and it has these big names attached, Often the story centers much more on the kind of aging star, the male lead, and his struggles with um, with addiction. And the kind of female character, the ingenue, she kind of just exists in his world and is kind of moved around. We never really see much of kind of her own character progression. So this was this has been a strong criticism of all all four films. Um, and I suppose I would just like to get your gals' thoughts on whether we think the uh, Bradley Cooper, the 2018 movie, managed to crack that. I think yes and no. I feel like in the relationship, it's sort of, I mean, I think he has more agency, but I think that was just naturally how the relationship was going to go. Um, but I think outside of the relationship, it is definitely more about him and his sort of struggles and like you see a lot more of his friends and his family um so yeah I think he kind of exists outside of the relationship a lot more than she does 
but I do think that she is involved a lot more during the the film than like in the Barbara Streisand one that was a big criticism that people said that she was hardly in it sort of a thing of like it was more about him and his kind of rise and fall rather than hers um so I think they did like yes and no would be my answer to that yeah I mean I think it's it's interesting because I think like a star is born could mean so many different things like a star is born in terms of like her career has taken off but also like a star is born because he gave her that opportunity because of what he did because of what of his life and I guess like also it's a bit ambiguous because it's like yes in the end he dies but it's like it's that thing of like I don't know this might be me being be me being too deep but like with stars a lot of famous people they do die quite tragically and it's like you don't know how the rest of the story is going to go like the rest of the story could be that they're like we remember this amazing singer Jackson or Maine or whatever um so it's complicated because I think it would be really interesting to see a version where it is more about like um like Lady Gaga's character and to see like her backstory because that is something that I do wish like they touched on more and yeah I mean the Barbara Streisand version absolutely I wish that she was in it more because it's Barbara Streisand um mm-hmm. uh but yeah, it's like it's complicated because then it then it becomes about like her backstory, whereas I think his backstory is so is so important to flesh out so that when he does eventually commit suicide, it I think the impact is so kind of like it hits you so deeply because you know all of his backstory. But I agree. I'm I'm on the same fence case where I'm like, I agree, I disagree. Like, well, not even disagree. I'm on both sides where I think it's nice that they, in the 2018 version, they lay out so much of his life. But also saying that, I think that I don't always like seeing women in a role where they're portrayed as like, their career's going so, so well, but ultimately we're going to focus on the man's like life and I think it would be interesting to see a version where it's like maybe it's from her like you see more of her life I think I think there's room for both I don't think it has to be a story just about her um I think I agree with you Star is Born I think can refer to the many light years that it takes for a star to die as well so I think it I see it as like a star is born a star dies as like it's reflecting both of their journeys and I think there is space for that there's been like the way we were is like a film it's a Barbra Streisand film that I just absolutely adore and it's about two people who fall in love who come from he's kind of like I think he's kind of like a republican she's kind of a communist and it's gorgeous and they both have such great agency in it and both of them develop and it's really beautiful so I think there's space for both basically is what I'm trying to say I think in this particular film, I did really like, I wouldn't want to lose any of Jackson's backstory with his brother and with his father and with his struggles with addiction, because I think those are really important. But I agree with you, Flo. I would have liked to see more of Ali's backstory, her relationship with her father, why she's kind of taking care of him in this way and his friends, this kind of sense of community that they seem to have in this house. I'd love to see that. I'd also love to see, because obviously there's an interesting aspect where she, 
she he feels that she's kind of losing herself to this pop world and I think she's feeling that too but we we don't really get a sense of that she doesn't Agreed. really talk about it yeah I'd love to see her taking more ownership of her own art and maybe her standing up to the producer or her battling with that decision of what's better to kind of conform slightly and be successful or you know stay true to what you are and instead we kind of just have him quite patronizingly tell her like oh you're you know don't lose sight of who you are which is important but I just I want to see her go I want to see her realize that you know yeah um and I just I really and this is not i I would like to say this with the caveat. I genuinely love this film and I find it very moving. And I think it's a really wonderful adaption and I think it's beautifully directed as well. But I do leave the film and I feel like I don't know Ali. I just don't really know much about her or what she likes or who she is. She feels, sometimes I think she feels like a reflection of the men around her. So with her friend, obviously, and that that kind of drag bar she feels like a reflection of that culture and then when she meets Jackson she kind of feels like a reflection of him and then when she's with her dad she feels like a reflection of him and same with the producer I guess I just wish um I wish I just knew her more so one of my favorite songs in the film is I'll Never Love Again which um I think we've previously discussed comes at the end of the film just before she announces herself as Ali Main um it's kind of like this epic ballad sang at the end of the movie during a, a tribute concert for Jackson after his death. Ali sings a song that Jackson wrote but never recorded prior to his death, sort of foreshadowing his own death since the lyrics sort of pertain to losing a lover. So it's also, it, there's kind, kind of a lot of foreshadowing throughout the whole film, but this one definitely, like if you listen to the lyrics, let me just get the the lyrics up here. So it's, don't want to feel another touch, don't want to start another fire, don't want to know another kiss, don't want another name falling off my lips, don't want to give my heart away to another stranger. So it's kind of this, I want to stay with you forever, I don't want to have to fall in love with anybody else because I will never love anybody else. Um. So yeah, it's sort of foreshadowing that somebody, like, you know, somebody's not always going to be there. It's such an emotional song and that bit that really breaks your heart is the swift cut at the end from Ali singing on stage to a flashback of Jackson singing the song with Ali. It's just him and his guitar, I think, and it's in a happier moment in their lives. But it's such a quick cut to that like shift into Ali singing into Jackson. It really kind of, I don't know, that's the bit that got me at the end of the film, like how quickly that cut to just like a happier moment in their lives I thought it was really sad was yeah because really well it's he's just come home from rehab and it seems like he's he's doing really well and they're just they're so happy to be back with one another and she has found the lyrics hasn't she in, yeah I think she's maybe looking amongst the things and she says to him I'd really love to hear how you hear how you hear this because that's something that he said to her how do you hear this these lyrics you've written but they never show you that it then just cuts away to something else so then they bring it back and you hear him say it and you're so right it is it's devastating and it's you really hear his like voice come through it's such a tearjerker like even on the recorded version when he comes in you're like oh like like you suddenly like you suddenly like you you can like you can really feel like she's like oh god you can really like see 
<laughs> but like, but yeah. Like, yeah, I think she just gives such an amazing performance during that um, scene. And kind of, you can kind of feel that, I don't know, it's kind of like, it's just like a punch in the gut sort of feeling. I think she gets away. Uh, she gets that across quite well. But also, a little fact about that scene is that um, something that makes Gaga's version all the more emotional and raw is that about ten minutes before the initial shooting of the scene, she got the call that her best friend um, Sonia Durham was, who had been battling cancer for quite a while, um, but she got a phone call that she that that she was dying. That this was basically like that they think this is the end. So she like swiftly left the set, but sadly before she got there, Sonia had already passed. Um, so she oh stayed there with, I think she stayed there with her Sonia's son and her husband for a couple of hours and then kind of said to her husband, I don't know what to do. And he said, go back and finish like what you've started. Like that's what Sonia would have wanted. So she came back to set and filmed that song like filmed that scene my Um, god yeah which I never knew that and I saw an interview of her talking about it and saying that yeah so she kind of had to like what what other people were saying is that she kind of really got into the role of Ali and was kind of living life as Ali she said that she kind of had to mourn the loss of Ali's loss of Jackson at the same time as the loss of her best friend which was she said was really really sad but ultimately led to such a beautiful rendition and like such a a beautiful scene the song itself feels quite timeless it doesn't feel like a typical gaga song obviously gaga didn't write this song she writes most of her own things but uh, the song almost feels like it could fit into any sort of any version of a star is born if it had some sort of slight tweaks i think it feels quite timeless and it feels it doesn't feel as modern kind of becomes this sort of classic ballad to me, it sounds quite, I don't know, like quite, uh, especially at the beginning, it sounds quite similar to Barbara Streisand's, some of Barbara Streisand's songs in the 70s version, which I think maybe has been done intentionally um, to kind of make it feel like more of a classic song rather than all the pop that we've been hearing throughout the, the, the rest of the film. Yeah, and, a... and she comes out as well and she has dyed her hair back brown and she's kind of made up like this kind of classic Hollywood starlet. She's wearing this like beautiful dress and her hair's up. So yeah, you you do kind of get that sense, isn't it? It, it almost could be a scene out of any of the other A Star Is Born because it's on like a concert stage and it doesn't feel like this kind of rock and roll like country yeah. kind of thing that we've had before. Yeah, it feels quite lifted from everything else that we've seen which I think obviously is done purposely. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a really, really beautiful ending. And obviously with that cut to Jackson at the end, it's quite a nice... It's just it's a really beautiful, um, like really beautiful cinematography, I think, at that moment. It really sort of is reminiscent to... Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Beaches... That's what it reminded me of, Beaches. Yeah, it's really, really... I mean, that's one of my all-time favourite movies. Anything that Bette Midler is in (laughs) is at the top of my list. But it's kind of that same moment of she kind of loses her best friend and then it kind of cuts to her on stage singing a tribute song to her friend. Um, 
and then kind of ends with that sort of like fade to black as she's walking off stage which that's uh, that's what it really reminded me of i actually listened to a really funny podcast the other day where they were discussing wind beneath my wings from beaches and they were kind of looking at the lyrics and they were basically like it's a horrible song <laughs> because uh cc bloom who's um bet midler's character is essentially saying like i'm really sorry that like i didn't let you shine like you've always been like the support character and i've never thought that when i listened to wind beneath my wings i've always thought oh, what a gorgeous song about like female friendship but then actually when they were looking at the lyrics it's basically like um but yeah i'm really sorry that like i was the star and you were, <laughs> you were <laughs> to be fair beneath my wings. <laughs> to be fair in the movie it is obvious that her friend doesn't want that sort of limelight although there is there is a moment where she kind of says that she's jealous of her but she doesn't want she's like not an actress nor a star and like i think she's studying law <laughs> it must have been cold there in my shadow to never have the sunlight on your face you were content to let me shine that's your way you always walked a step behind <laughs> <laughs> it's a tribute to her friend so i was the one with all the glory a beautiful face without a name for so long a beautiful smile to hide the pain <laughs> hide the pain it's pretty it brutal. So it's br- it is a brutal, brutal song. Yeah, I mean it is nice, but like it is a bit like, yeah, you were in my shadow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on to our little camper gossip corner, which I just want to talk about the chemistry between Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, because I don't know if anybody else saw the 2019 Oscars performance. <laughs> Yes. That kind of makes everybody cringe, but just cringe in like not in a bad way of like, oh, this performance is cringy. In the way of, oh my gosh, I can't imagine how his wife is feeling right now. Is he still with his wife? <laughs> nope. They uh announced a divorce. <laughs> oh god. Three months after three months after the Oscars performance and did lady gaga split up with taylor because they were engaged was that around the same oh my god why didn't i clock this (laughs) really oh my gosh it is do you know nothing's made me ever i don't know if anyone's seen that um michael scott gif from the office where he's like (laughs) yes yes (laughs) yes yes grimacing it's so awkward because they get up to perform shallow and i don't know about you but like I feel like if you're performing a song, you're performing a song at the Oscars. You're not acting. It's not like you're not the a parts gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they kind of get up, and she's sort of sat at the piano. He's stood up. They don't sing out. They sing to each other. Oh god! Like they are facing each other on the stage. I remember this. And she yeah. sits down. She sits down to play her part on the piano. He then decides that he's going to leave his spot and he comes and sits down next to her at the piano to which she turns to him and it really briefly looks like she's going in for a kiss. She really like turns in, goes to his lips and then looks away really quickly, carries on to the end of the song and like she kind of like rests her head on his shoulder and they kind of just look at each other for like two minutes and then... I don't know if anyone can remember because I've, every time I looked, I've looked it up on YouTube, it kind of swiftly ends after the song ends. But during the actual Oscars ceremony, it did cut to his wife and she's like sat there smiling and clapping and you just know that that woman is seething. 
Do you think, though, that they did that for publicity? Like, do you think that they maybe asked them? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, surely they must have known, like, people can see the chemistry on screen. I bet you before they went on, they were like, oh, probably go sit next to her on the piano. Probably look as though you're about to. That is completely calculated. Yeah. But I also think it is quite funny. I think their relationships probably were not in a good place. And I think that did that exacerbate the end of their relationships, perhaps because it was such a big thing in the news, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah but it no, was... do I think that they had a romantic relationship during A Star is Born? No. Do oh. I think they had feelings for each other? No. But do I think they have insane chemistry that they capitalised on? Yeah. But my thought was, because <laughs> I, I had this and I was like, yeah, probably a publicity stunt. But then I was like, but the film was already out. Like, this was Oscars. The film was already out. It had already grossed, like, the majority of what it had grossed at the box office. So was there really a need to kind of... But I think even just... I think even just for, like, just for, like, general publicity, I mean, even though it had already done really, really well, just even watching that, you're like, oh, my God, I want to Google these people. I want to listen to the soundtrack. I want to rewatch the yeah. movie. So I guess, like... I don't know. It's it's complicated. And only Bradley and Lady Gaga know the real answer. I think whether or not they had a relationship, I think something definitely happened. I don't know. I like reading into these things, but the way she spoke about him in every single That is true. Um I did you see the memes where she's like, there could be a hundred people in the room and <laughs> Like there was, because she said it at literally every interview, but she was like, there could be a hundred people in the room and you just need one to believe in you. And he's that guy. And like, she just, literally every single interview, but you're just like, are you in love with this man? Like, (laughs) because the way she, and she speaks so highly of him. And then you have the added thing of oh yeah um late like lady gaga was really really into the role of ali like she lived her life as ali and she really mourned like the loss of jackson and i'm like it, uh, I actually saw a very similar thing the other day. It uh, just came up on my Twitter timeline. With I don't know if you guys are fans of New Girl, but it mm. was the um I think it was a clip from a couple of years ago, uh, maybe when the last season was out. And it's like a panel, and it's the creators and the stars of New Girl, and they're talking about um like Nick and Jess, and they say, well, I think it's one of the producers, maybe or one of the writers. I think it's one of the writers. He's like, yeah, the the um chemistry between um Zoe Deschanel and Jake Johnson was so palpable that they had to kind of forcibly keep them apart on set and purposefully write their story, their love story, to be a lot slower because they or like write them in in scenes that maybe it wasn't going to show as much because they wanted it to be such a slow burn. And I saw a really, really funny, um, it was like, basically, it was like Jake Johnson's wife watching this, just being like, okay, my husband. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Excellent news. (laughs) Wow. But yeah, it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. It also reminds me of my favourite, I think it's Oscars, maybe it's BAFTA, I think it's Oscars moment. Where Kate Winslet, I think she wins. For I was just about to say, um, I was just about to say. (laughs) I love that moment. Oh, um, I, to my husband, thank you for all your support. And to Leo, talking about Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. I have loved you since <laughs> I was a young girl. <laughs> and she's like, it's so awkward because it's like, why? Did, like, that's fine to do that, but like, maybe big up your husband a little bit more. I know. Like, I just was, think 
I think when you're it's working, so I am such I I live and breathe for when like actors who are working on something together start a relationship. I love it. I live and breathe. I, love, I'm just like, yes. <laughs> I live and breathe for the drama of like just you know. I mean, it happens so often, especially with like directors and actresses, or like you know, like leading actors and actresses that are that are working together as a relationship, like. I don't know. I've got. I had so many examples put up in my head, but now I've like can't think of one. Like Leah Michelle and Corey Monteith, for yeah. example. They they became an item during Glee, and I think when you're working in such close proximity with somebody for so long, and you're kind of forcibly acting as lovers. And uh, like Zac Efron, of, uh, Vanessa Hudgens. Vanessa just uh, saying, yeah, they were an item, major item, slightly more obscure one. Uh, but uh, Gillian Anderson and David Duchovny from the X Files. Oh yes, they have a a super hot one because they hated each other throughout like the first couple seasons of the X Files. Like they had to be kept away from each other on set. They hated each other. They'd get into screaming matches, and then something kind of turned in their relationship. Uh, I think it was just after Gillian's divorce, and they were like suddenly. When I say all over each other, I just mean they were very, very close. And wow. like, there's she's at like an award ceremony, and he's like holding her hand, and like, but that one really excites me because they hated each other so much. But it's clearly because there was so much sexual tension. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it, I just get so excited. I'm like, oh my god. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think, and I think especially with this being her first sort of major film role. I think she was probably putting her heart and soul into it and really doing everything by the book and really trying, like, trying really hard to make it great. And it being his directorial debut, he was, again, trying to make everything perfect, wanted it to be really great, wanted it to be everything. So I think they were both, they went in, they both went in with so much passion and so much energy and so much like, oh, I love this and I want this to be great. They probably made it the whole kind of world whilst it was happening that I feel like it would have been very easy to get swept up into all that passion and start a little love affair. A little love affair. <laughs> I think, like, it's hard to not watch, because like, I don't think I'm a particularly romantic person or, like, someone... I don't really watch romance things. Like, Bridgerton kind of gives me the ick because I just am like, people don't talk like that. And I, like, think if someone was like to me, like you are the fire of my loins. I'd just be like, oh, like, oh calm down. You scared me. Um, <laughs> obviously, I do, like, I love being in love. But, like, I don't know. I'm not, like, a big romance person. Um, but it's, I mean, even for me, like, when you watch them on screen and, like, it's so well written as well. Like, there is just something so, like, devastating and exciting about their romance. And that's why, just to bring it back to that scene where he's like, well, maybe you are just ugly. <gasps> that was improvised. That was apparently... Apparently, what? they kind of... That bath scene where they're arguing, it was kind of a... They had a general outline, but they kind of just let them go at it. And I think that scene... That really springs to mind when I'm thinking about just, like, really great acting. And then I think I maybe Googled it or seen something about it because I was just like, that was such a great scene. And for somebody like, I don't, you know, for someone who is not such a seasoned actress, I mean, she's brilliant, but I think it was so, 
I don't know, it was really captivating. I just thought it was great. And I was like, I wonder like how that went down. And apparently it was kind of improvised. And that the bit where he says, I can't remember the exact things he says, but when he says something like, oh, my own girlfriend, da, 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 and he didn't mean to say that. Like that was just him. Oh, she, kind she, of... No, she says, oh, my boyfriend. And he's like, who's your boyfriend? Oh yeah. Oh, and that was husband. it. That was it. So she, they were improvising and she said, my boyfriend, da, 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 da. And he kind of rolled with it and was like, your boyfriend, what am I, your boyfriend? I'm not your boyfriend. And she's like, yeah, you're my boyfriend if you don't treat me like your wife. Like that was just like, that was off the bat. And they just kind of, and then he, I think that's when he goes, well, you're just fucking ugly. (gasps) Oh God. That is devastating because that is the disease talking. That is the addiction disease talking. Ugh. Well, talking of uh, those kind of great moments, what are some of your kind of best quotes from the film? Does anyone have one? I personally, one of my um, favorite ones, and it's, you know, it, this one's a bit cliche and it's, but I, I like it. It's one of those cliches that's quite nice and it is quite resonant of the fact that this is the fourth in a, in a kind of iteration. Um, and it is Bobby. Um, his brother and manager who says to Ali music is essentially 12 notes between any octave 12 notes in the octave repeats just the same story told over and over all any artist can offer the world is how they see those 12 notes which obviously ties in wonderfully with the kind of themes um of the franchise itself it's obviously saying we're telling the same story kind of but throughout history and it's going to be different each time. Um, and it's also a really nice tie in to this like kind of seed that they plant throughout the, throughout the film where Jackson says loads of people are talented, but not all of them have something to say. And that's what he sees in Ali. It's not just that she's a gorgeous singer and she's really beautiful and you know, she's very talented. It's that her lyrics have something to say. And that's why he's kind of so upset when her pop career is taken away from these lyrics. So I quite like that because it's like a nice nod to the franchise and it's like a nice nod to like Jackson's philosophy of like fame and kind of sharing your art with the world. But what about you guys? What are some of your favourite quotes from the film? Mine is sort of cliche, but I love the, the I just wanted to take another look at you. I think that just, oof, I just think it's so sexy. And I think, and I love, it's and I love, sexy. I love the moment that she does with the nose, where she kind of like runs her yeah. finger along the nose. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh my god, it's so for us big nose girlies. <laughs> it's a real moment. <laughs> but I just think it's so. Oh, I just love it, and like the way she kind of like embraces herself after it, like because obviously it's something that she's insecure about, and then she kind of like, I don't know, like lifts her chin up and kind of traces her face, and I'm like, oh. And it is so heart-wrenching at the end where obviously he's kind of decided what he's going to do and he says, oh, I'll, I'll come and meet you at the show and she's going off and then he says, hey, and then she turns around and he says, I just want to take um, another look at you. But obviously we know it's, oh God, I'm, I'm honestly tearing up, guys, because it kills me. Yeah. But it's obviously because we know it's going to be his his last time and he's just taking her in and um, it's just... Oh my god, I'm genuinely having a little bit of a moment. Oh it's just so sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> god damn it, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I, I really like one of her quotes that she says, where she says, I hope it's okay if I love you forever, Jack. 
it's just like it's just painfully cute like their whole relationship what are your skippable songs from the soundtrack um i would say i'm gonna go with an easy one i think just obviously any of her kind of pop numbers um that are obviously designed to feel a bit empty for me like i'll just skip those i'm wanting the i'm wanting the drama i'm wanting the shallow do you know, oh i love her version of Levion rose oh my god oh, I, that is gorgeous, yeah. I skip i was just looking at i skip black eyes i'm not <laughs> i'm not I, I, an instant skip for me i've got to be honest I I really really struggle with this. Like when I had to think of a, I I with that album, I find it really hard to skip things. I guess like if I had to be super picky, every now and then I'd probably skip like the dialogue because I'm like, you know, they've got like that funny dialogue bit in between. Yeah. Some of the dialogue bits are really lovely, but some of it I'm like, well, I don't need to hear this, do I? It's another forty seconds I could probably skip. Um. See, I'd probably put that in my like. And to be fair, I, <laughs> I'm so trashy. I love her pop songs because they're just silly. And it's not because I'm like, oh my god, they're really meaningful. It's just that like I'm just like they're just silly. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. It's I shouldn't even say that because it goes against obviously like what the story is about. Um, but I think because I like silly pop songs. So exciting times, guys. I know that we normally do our fantasy generator casting um, when we're covering a musical. But what we thought in the spirit of A Star is Born would be really fun is to cast a future version of the show, um, the two kind of leading parts. So it's who we think in 2035 might be the kind of the titular ingenue star with a quirk and the aging kind of bad boy um, star. I think to start of the gate, Olivia Rodrigo. I think that she's like a really up and coming artist at the minute. Obviously, she's quite young, so I feel like if we did like a twenty twenty uh, twenty thirty five version or something, she'd be kind of like the right age. So I have a few thoughts on the leading ingenue. I don't know if you guys know Mia Goth. Yes. Yeah. She's in Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac and then she's obviously been in Pearl. She has, I mean, I think she's a phenomenal actress, but I also think she has like this, I just, something so exciting about her. Like she reminds me of like Shelley Duvall or something or like Tilda Swinton, like this kind of offbeatness, but this like great beauty as well. I don't know whether she can sing or not. Um, obviously in Pearl, the whole point was that she couldn't, but I don't know whether she could actually sing. But she, it would be like a tight, like, her, like her for me I think she just has something so interesting about her but then I was thinking as well I can't remember her last name but from normal people is it Daisy Daisy Edgar Jones Daisy Edgar Jones I think she has also a bit of a je ne sais quoi about her that yeah. I can't quite put my finger on but she's quite an exciting performer as well Ariana Grande would be phenomenal because of her vocal range, but she is so like beautiful. If and it sounds really silly because like Lady Gaga, Barbara Streisand, and Judy Garland, they're all stunning. But I feel like if you looked at her, you're like, no, she is so typically beautiful in like 
her features and like her long hair and like whatever yeah. and I feel like visually I don't think she'd be the right person for the role because she is just so stunning um that you're right like it needs to be someone who is who is you know beautiful but has something about them that's like a bit different I'm trying to think off the top of my head it's so hard I think for Jackson you want him to be like gritty you want him to have like a Oh, do I say Leonardo DiCaprio, like, now, though? Because you know how he's, like... Well, he's, like, ruggedy. Like, he could look quite ruggedy now. Um, I think I think if we're basing it in, like, 10, 15 years, I think Harry Styles... Ooh. Yeah. Because I think he... I mean, obviously, he's quite, um, like, clean-cut. Well, not really quite clean cut, but he's not like, you know, I mean, he's not like gritty, like rock star sort of thing. But I don't know, like in 10, 15 years, I think you could make him look like that. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't think that'd be, that'd be hard to make him like a, like a rugged rock star. Yeah. I think the reason why it's so hard is because they are so well cast that like to think of yeah. other people, you're like, I just can't, I can't picture it not being them. Well... A lot was just unpicked. Now, some of you at home may be thinking, I cannot wait to see that 2035 version. And you're right, I'm excited too. A lot has been talked about. And actually, you know what, after tonight, I am going to be watching A Star Is Born over and over and over again, rethinking everything that we just talked about, especially my shaha hello. And just to remind you again that we are currently on a drive to boost the audience for our show and we really need your help. All you have to do is, after you've enjoyed an episode of Sunday on the Pod, is rate and review us wherever you listen, share us on social media, or recommend us by word of mouth to your friends and family. These little things go a long way to increasing our listenership and helping the show continue. And just a reminder as well that we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you can find us at Sunday on the Pod on Insta and Twitter, and on our Facebook page, Sunday on the Pod. These are all linked below. And just like that, we've been a... Star? Is born. Bye! Bye! Bye.